Welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve here, happy to continue our study of the story of Saul and David. It remains a story of striking contrast. Saul's dad was wealthy, but David's dad was not. Saul disobeys the Lord, but David seeks the Lord. Uh, Saul's fearful, but David's courageous. Saul is impulsive, but David's intelligent. Saul is the king the people wanted, but David is the king God wanted. God's spirit had left Saul, but God's spirit had rushed upon David. Saul, you see, was a man after his own kingdom, but David was a man after God's own heart. And the striking contrast continues in this week's study of chapters 22 and 23, where we'll see that Saul is rash, where David is rational. (laughs) Saul kills God's people while David rescues God's people. Saul sides with the ungodly while David sides with God himself. For those using notes I sent out, you can follow along our outline. In chapter 22, we'll see David dodges danger and Saul slaughters the innocent. And in chapter 23, we'll see listening to the Lord and snitching, scampering, and saving. So we start with David dodges danger in chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. After, you remember last week, looking like a lunatic and leaving Gath, David takes refuge in the cave of Adullam. Uh, There he's joined by his brothers, I guess Eliab was along for the ride, and his family, right? They're now also in danger from Saul because of their association with David. And there, 400 kind of ragtag followers gather around David too, right? The broke, the malcontents, the outcasts. It was a pretty motley crew. And we might wonder what that time in the cave was like and how David's faith fared during this time on the run. We'll look no further than Psalm 57 which is a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. And there we see David's cheerful confidence in the midst of danger and his expectation, full expectation of deliverance. Even in hard times, you see, we can follow David's example. Cry out to the Lord, take refuge in him, and praise him. Check out Psalm 57. Well, next, David travels to Mizpah of Moab to arrange safe haven for his mom and dad. Uh, he's taking action out of concern for his aging parents. Now, why would David, an Israelite leader, albeit on the run, go to Moab? Well, you remember the backstory that David's great grandmother, so actually his dad, Jesse's grandma, Ruth, she was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. Plus, Saul had fought against Moab, we know from chapter 14, verse 47. So Moab is already anti-Saul, and Saul is anti-David. Plus, the Ruth bloodlines, all that added up to, to Moab actually being a safe hideout for David's parents. He had to run. You know things are messed up in Israel. When he has to run, David, from the king of Israel, and he's got to run to the king of Moab in order to honor his father and mother by ensuring their safety. And notice, too, the verbal witness that David offers to the king of Moab as he says, 
uh, King, I'm going to leave my parents with you until I know what God will do for me, what God will do for me. And sure enough, as David waits on the Lord in the stronghold, God does guide and direct him through the counsel of the prophet Gad. Even though going into the land of Judah might seem more risky, David obeys God's direction and he heads into the forest of Hereth in Judah. Now, just in these first five verses, there's been a lot of action, right? David has dodged danger by fleeing to the cave of Adullam, the plains of Moab, and now the forest of Hereth. He's a multi-terrain kind of guy. And if we back up to last week, we can see in his time of desperation, God provided for David with food from Ahimelech, escape from the Philistines, parental safety in Moab, and now a prophetic word from Gad. And that brings us to our second section of Saul slaughters the innocent, starting in verse 6. You you see, Saul had heard about David and the, the small band of men with him, and his paranoid mind just keeps working overtime. It's spinning, and Saul ends up accusing his own men of conspiracy by not informing him of Jonathan's covenant with David. And after all, you know, Saul says, hey, listen, guys, you, you think you would have got fields and vineyards from, from David? Do you think he would have given you the government perks I did? And then he further, Saul further blames Jonathan for stirring up David to lie in wait for him. <laughs> Jonathan had not stirred up David, and David was not looking to kill Saul. It's quite the opposite. Saul was all stirred up about David, and he was looking, lying in wait to kill David. But be that as it may, Doeg, the Edomite, informs Saul of David's interactions earlier at Nob with Ahimelech. Now David, notice that Doeg leaves out the context of how David had lied about supposedly being on a secret mission for Saul. It was on that basis of what David told Ahimelech that, hey, I'm doing the king's work, I'm, I'm carrying out Saul's mission, that Ahimelech had aided David. But instead, you see, Doeg spins it to make it sound like Ahimelech was actually helping David get ready for battle against Saul. Oh, he, he gave him the Lord's direction. He, he provided him with provisions. He gave him a sword. You know, so Saul summons Ahimelech and his family, uh, the priests at Nob, and he wrongly charges them also with conspiracy. Ahimelech, please, listen, David's reputation for loyalty to you, king, is known. He's your son-in-law. And me, I'm innocent of all conspiracy, right? I I don't know much or little about this whole thing. But Saul rashly condemns Ahimelech and his father's whole family to death. When Saul orders his men to kill the priests of the Lord for siding with David, Saul's servants are unwilling to slaughter the innocent. No, they're not going to have any part of it. They know better than that. So Saul ends up ordering Doeg, the Edomite, to strike down the priests who are just standing there peacefully in their linen ephods. What? What? (laughs) Saul has an ungodly Edomite kill God's chosen priests? Things are really upside down here. And Doeg doesn't stop with the 85 defenseless priests. He proceeds to Nob, to the city of Nob, to kill all the men, women, children, infants, 
and animals there. See, Saul would not completely destroy the enemy Amalekites as he was ordered to, and now he completely destroys all the Israelite priests and their families. Again, it just flipped on its head. And yet, and yet, God is still sovereign, with Saul and Doeg's wicked acts fulfilling the prophecy against Eli's house from chapter 2, verse 31 to 33, if you go back and read it. See, even in opposing God's kingdom, God's enemies bring to pass God's word. As prophesied, one priest named Abiathar does escape, and he informs David of what's happened in Nob. David takes responsibility for the slaughter. He, he promises safety to Abiathar, uh, right? Hey, the guy who's after you is after me too. We've got this common enemy. And moving forward, Saul has no further priestly contact with the Lord. David has now become the protector of the priesthood remnant. You're safe here with me, Abiathar. And that brings us to our third section on listening to the Lord at the start of chapter 23. It was reported to David that the Philistines were fighting against Keilah, which was a city in Judah, and they were robbing the, the threshing floors. They were, they were stealing all the people's hard-earned grain. So what did David do? Well, he didn't say, forget it. <laughs> I'm a persona non grata in Israel, and I'm done fighting their battles. And he also didn't rush into action, right? Right away, trying to rashly save them. Instead, he inquired of the Lord. Right? He asked the Lord a simple question. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord gave David a simple answer. Yes, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. See, David now is actually going to be doing the king's job, saving God's people from the Philistines. That was the very thing Saul had been anointed to do in chapter 9, verse 16. Well, God had clearly spoken to David, but his newly formed army of 400, they weren't so sure, right? They, they were already a little bit afraid to be trying to dodge uh, the danger with Saul and Judah. And now they're even more afraid to take on the Philistine armies in Keilah. I mean, after all, they'd never fought together. They, they, it was a newly formed team. They, they had the jitters. It's understandable. So David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered the same as before, with the reminder that I, I will give the Philistines into your hands. And it turned out, of course, just as the Lord said, with David and his new band of men defeating the Philistines and saving the Israelite inhabitants of Keilah. So not only David, but now I think maybe perhaps indirectly this group was learning to listen to the Lord. And the David-Saul contrast continues, right? Saul has now killed Israelite priests at Nob, where David has saved the Israelite inhabitants at Keilah. And word comes to Saul that David is at Keilah. Hey, he's been identified. We know where he is. And instead of thinking, great, he's defeated the Philistines there. Instead, Saul in his demented mind says, ah, it's a trap. See, he, he's behind gates and bars and he's cornered and, and I can engage in siege warfare. I'll get him that way. David knew that Saul had it out for him. So what did he do? 
What did David do? He inquired of the Lord through the one surviving priest, Abiathar, and his ephod, which probably here signifies the Urim and Thummim of the high priest by which God guided his people at this time. Uh, See, ironically, the priest who Saul sort of indirectly drove to David is now guiding David in God's will. And David's association with Nob had already led to its destruction, and perhaps he fears the same for Keilah. If he's there, are those people going to be destroyed? So David asked the God of Israel two interrelated questions. Question one, will Saul come here? And the answer, yes. Question two, will the people of Keilah surrender us to Saul? Answer again, yes. Even though you saved them from the Philistines, they're going to betray you to Saul probably out of fear of their own destruction. Now, earlier, God says, I told you to come here to Keilah, and now I'm telling you to leave. And sure enough, David and his now 600 men, it's grown a bit from 400, they left Keilah in peace, and they just started roaming around wherever they could, mostly in the wilderness strongholds and in the safe hill country of Ziph. Though Saul was seeking David every day, Every day, God protected David, saving him from the hands of lions and bears and Goliath, and now every day from the hand of Saul, repeatedly. And all the while, David was listening to the Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? Ironically, while Saul definitely couldn't find David, Jonathan could. No problem, right? During David's time in the wilderness at Ziph, at at Horish, Jonathan took a big risk and he went to visit David to strengthen his hand in God. Strengthen his hand in God. See, God's encouragement really comes from God's promises. And though David was on the run from Saul, Jonathan reminded David, you don't have to be afraid. Listen, you're going to be king over Israel, right? And Jonathan planned to be right there by his side, perhaps envisioning himself as second in command. And going back to Samuel's words in chapter 15, even Saul knows at some level this is going to happen. And then one last time, David and Jonathan reaffirm their covenant before the Lord. They reaffirm the covenant before the Lord. Jonathan heads home, having strengthened David in God, And these two friends would never see one another again. So we arrive at our final section of snitching, scampering, and saving. The people of Ziph had probably heard what happened to the people at Nob, so they make sure to snitch on David, right? They give Saul Google Map directions to David's location. O king, come on down and we'll surrender David right into your hand. We're with you, king. But Saul knows how cunning David is. So Saul asks the Ziphites to make absolutely, positively sure that they know precise where David's very foot is, not just his general whereabouts. Spy out all the lurking places where he hides. And once you have totally trustworthy intel, I'll find David. It's a little bit like Herod and the Magi later, right? Tell me when you found him, the anointed one, and then I'll take care of it from there. 
But the intel went both ways, right? Someone tipped off David that Saul and his men were on the way. So David and his band on the run head to the wilderness of Maon. Uh, it's noted for its kind of cone-shaped hill. I, I picture it like a big version of Pilot Mountain in North Carolina. Some of you have driven by that. And, and you see, when Saul and his men went to one side of the mountain, David and his men scampered around to the other side. Uh, but just as Saul and his men were starting to close in on David, a messenger arrived and urgently pleaded with Saul to, to come and help out respond with the Philistine raid against the land of Israel. And sure enough, Saul gave up on pursuing David to go take on the Philistines. God uses the Philistine threat of all things to rescue David. Think about this. God uses the ones who had been David's enemies at Keilah, who he had just defeated earlier in this chapter, the Philistines, now to be the source of his rescue in Ziph. Now, Ziphite snitched, David scampered, but the Lord saved. And in memory of David's great escape, that place became known as the Rock of Escape. You know, you have a, a little picnic out there, you tell the kids the story about the Rock of Escape. And David headed from there to the strongholds of Engedi, which is also famous for its very difficult to access rock, rocky fortresses and its endless supply of water. It's kind of like a little oasis. And Engedi, in fact, still attracts nearly a million tourists every year. But geography aside, what was happening in David's heart and in his faith during this whole episode, we wonder? Well, turn to Psalm 54. Psalm 54, which is a mascal of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul that David was hiding among them. O oh God, David writes, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have arisen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. But behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. In your small groups, you can discuss how this resonates with each of your lives, Psalm 54. For now, let's close in prayer. Lord, we stand amazed at what you did in David's life, how you protected his parents, how you sent him a priest, how you used him to save Keilah, how you directed his every step how you strengthened him through Jonathan, and how you delivered David from Saul's murderous hand time and time and time again. We also stand amazed at what you have done in our lives, sending us the ultimate high priest, directing our steps as we listen to you, using others to strengthen us and delivering us from the evil one. We praise you as our good and faithful God, the upholder of our lives. Through Jesus, amen.